0: well good morning there rock
1: This is not Dave Elswick. This is Nick Horton, a much less handsome version of our good friend Dave Elswick. Great to be with you. Um, This is my first time on this side of the desk, so there's no telling. Oh, gosh, I couldn't even count the... The dozens of times I've been a guest on Dave's show, going back to early two thousands, uh, when I was, he loves to tell the stories of me rabble rousing in Searcy and White County, fighting uh, local tax increases, and you know, Dave, uh, Dave would see our work online or on Twitter or whatever, and you know, I remember him just calling me up and saying. Come to Little Rock and be on the show And I thought, uh, boy, I thought I had Really arrived, uh, and I guess I had I guess I had, I was on with The great, the legendary Dave Ellswick, and so, now here we Are, fast forward about 15 years And, uh, little Nick Horton is On the other side of the microphone Couldn't be more excited to be here Um, I feel very, I feel very Powerful in the seat, uh, in the Dave Ellswick chair, uh, I feel Like he should have, like, a golden Microphone or something here, but, uh Hope Dave is, is enjoying his time away. Um I am. uh, We got a lot of guests. We got a lot of really great guests. I'm really excited about the lineup today here in just a few minutes. We're going to be joined by Andrew Brown, who is the Associate Vice President of Policy at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. We're going to spend a lot of time in this first hour uh, and really throughout this first uh, couple hours of the show today talking about foster care. I know this is an issue that a lot of us have experienced or seen up close the 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 disastrous results of foster care on the back end, um, how it hurts kids uh, because they're they're torn away from their families and what can we do as a state to encourage families to stay together? What can we do from a policy standpoint as a community, as a church community to keep kids? in their homes with their families as much as possible and then if they have to be put into foster care what can we do as a state uh to make sure that they're getting the care that they need uh, and that they're given the best chance possible to leave foster care and get back on their feet and get into a, a good job and 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 independence uh for their life because that's so important and i think the foster care, unfortunately, in a lot of ways is is not really set up right now to to uh, to put kids on that path, and so we're going to talk a lot about that this morning. Um, after Andrew, we're going to have Washington County Joseph Wood, uh, Washington County Judge, I should say Joseph Wood, um, a former foster child himself, and someone who's done a lot of important work in this area. So we'll hear from him a little bit about his personal story and some things that he's seen from inside the system um, that you know we all. Need to be I think more aware of we'll have representative Tony Furman coming on at the top of the next hour to talk about the same issue he's a, a state legislator from Saline County uh, and has worked as a foster parent and in the foster community as well a ton himself and then at 7:30 uh, we'll be joined by congressman Bruce Westerman so really excited uh, to talk to the congressman I've known him uh, back since uh, he was uh, just the lowly uh, State House Majority Leader uh, for session and uh, appreciate him and everything that he's doing to represent us in Washington. And so we'll talk with him about a host of issues of what's going on in D.C., what can we expect in November uh, if Republicans take the House, what's going to be on the top of their agenda. And so we'll talk to uh, to Congress Westerman about that. Don't forget, we've got another bonus hour of the show at 9 o'clock, so we'll have a little bit of a break, and then we'll be back at 9 o'clock. Several great guests in that hour as well, but I'm going to save those. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make y'all wait a little while before I start talking about the, uh, the 9 o'clock hour, because we've got some really great guests. All these guests are great. All these guests are great, but we've got a, a couple of national guests um, and uh, a couple surprises, uh, a pretty big surprise uh, in the 9 o'clock hour, so you'll you'll want to hang around for for that um, we 're talking about foster care uh, this hour, and i don 't know if you if any of you have seen this headline, um, but this is a headline that 's run. A couple times over the last few years, and really, honestly, for me, was something that really got my eyes and my attention on this issue. You know, we've all heard about the foster problem. We've all heard about these thousands of kids that have been put into the system for a variety of reasons. Because we've got a crime problem in Arkansas. Because we've got an addiction problem in Arkansas. Because we've got a dependency problem in Arkansas. And so kids are having to be put into foster homes um, because their parents are not able to take care of them. And one of the things that we've seen, we'll talk more about this certainly with Andrew Brown, Joseph Wood, and uh, Representative Furman, but because the foster care system is so overrun in this state, because of all these problems with crime and dependency and addiction, we have had kids in our state sleeping in DHS offices because we don't have enough foster homes for them to go to. Now, look. I'm I'm not looking to place blame necessarily. Uh, again, there's plenty of blame to go around. We've got we've got parents that aren't doing a, a good enough job taking care of their kids, and so the states had to step in at times and put kids in the foster system. Uh, but in no universe should a child, should an Arkansas child, be forced to sleep in a DHS office. This is a massive, massive problem, and. We need to resolve as a state and as a community right now that that should never happen again in our state. So we're going to talk more about that throughout this whole hour with our guests, um, Andrew Brown from Texas Public Policy, Joseph Wood, and State Representative Tony Furman. We've got to take a break. We'll be right back back, the Dave Ellswick Show. This is Nick Horton. I didn't really introduce myself. Uh, I just kind of assumed some of you know me from being on with Dave for so many years. But uh, CEO of Red Truck Strategies. Um, we're a research firm here in Arkansas. We work with some candidates and a lot of uh, nonprofits on research, polling, messaging. Uh, if you want to learn more about what we do, you can go to redtruckstrategies.com, Strategies. Com. Uh, much more importantly than that, we are now joined, and I'm very, uh, ha- I'm very happy to uh, welcome on a dear friend and a national expert on the foster care system, Mr. Andrew Brown. Andrew, are you with us?
2: I'm here, Nick. Thanks for having
1: me. Hey man, thanks so much for coming on. Uh I didn't know this hour of the day existed, so uh it's really cool to uh to see that uh you know, some people are awake at this hour of the day. Uh but uh
2: yeah, I've got two young kids at home and so basically yeah. five to six o'clock is the only time I can work out and have time to myself
1: that's right that's right well i hope we're not cutting into your work your workout time but uh, i really appreciate you joining i want to read a headline here this is from just a few years ago in the state of arkansas we were talking about this just before the break from the times record this is what it says uh, about about the arkansas uh, foster care system quote children sleeping in dhs offices because of foster care challenges. I want to read that again. Children sleeping in DHS offices because of foster care challenges. Now, Andrew, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do at Texas Policy. I know you've worked on foster care issues in states around the country, but why is this happening? What is going on in our foster care system?
2: Yeah, and unfortunately, that problem is not unique to Arkansas. Um, We're experiencing it in Texas, and over the last year, to a dramatic degree, uh, we did some data analysis, and granted, our system is a whole lot larger than your system just by virtue of our population, but between August of 2020 and July of 2021, we saw our number of, we call them children without placement, kids who come into the system without a safe place to to go that increased by about 475%. Wow. It just absolutely skyrocketed. And it really was for a lack of placement um, and a shortage of not only foster homes, but for a lot of the kids, higher level types of care that um, they need. What we found you know, in Texas, where I do the majority of my work, is most of the kids who are coming in that are without placement tend to be older, and tend to be more what we would call high needs. Um, they're more complex in terms of the care and the services they need. Now, what's been really interesting in Texas is we've seen that we've not seen that problem as extensively in regions where we are. Going toward a community-driven system. That is, we're moving away from a government-centric, government-run system, and we're going to a system that prioritizes local community nonprofits as the lead agencies.
1: Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold on. Why is it- are you are you suggesting that government is not good at something?
2: I know. I know you're shocked.
1: <laughs> <laughs> government government uh, can't take care of our kids better than we can. Is that is that a takeaway here that I'm sensing?
2: I think that's the hmm. hot take government can't take care of our kids better than we can.
1: Yeah, well, you know, you raise a good point from 2020 to 2021. You know, obviously with the pandemic and with the shutdowns, I know there were a lot of us early on that were really worried about this type of of a problem, not just for the system, but for for the kids, right? I mean, you've got Folks that lost their jobs, um, you know, there was a lot of research and a lot of concerns coming out early on that by being locked down and trapped at home, you know, that tensions rise, you know, unemployment's rising. There's all these factors that are compounding uh, either neglect or uh, abuse or all sorts of things that could lead to more uh, you know fo- more kids and folks coming into the foster care system. But some of these problems, and, and I know you work, you know this, Andrew, because you've been a caseworker, you've worked on this issue for. I don't know a decade or more. I want to say Th- this has been a problem before COVID. I mean, this has been a problem for a really long time, and I don't know why. And, I, and I'm editorializing here, but like I just I don't know why we as a state uh, in in Arkansas haven't taken this more seriously. I mean, I know we've got some good folks at DHS that that believe in what they're doing and want to do the best for kids, but this this just seems like an ongoing problem. That we just sort of kick the can on. And in the meantime, you know we've got kids that are, that are hanging in the balance, that are being tossed around between home to home to home. I mean, what's it like, Andrew? You've been a caseworker. What's it like when a kid gets put into the foster care system? ripped away from their family whether it's for a good reason or not you know whether whether it's a legitimate uh uh you know placement because they're really in a bad situation but what is it what effect does that have on a kid and then and then you see them get tossed around from home to home to home uh you know from someone that's been inside and seen this up close what's that like for kids
2: yeah yeah, and During my experience, I haven't been a caseworker. I've been an attorney in the system. Okay, yeah, I'm a thank recovering you. attorney now, a researcher policy guy, but I've represented both kids and families who are having contact with the child protection system. The one thing that I think we always lose sight of that I come back to time and time again is the mere act of separating a child from their family, whether or not that separation is justified, is traumatic. You are harming that child by the very act of separating them from their family, and you're doing it for the long term. It's lifelong harm that they're going to experience. Now, the question that we always have to ask ourselves is, does the harm of the separation that we know will occur, is that less than the harm that is being caused to the child or could happen to the child if they're allowed to remain in the home? It's that balancing test. And one of the, that's, the, that's the tragic part of this system, is it's a system that is entirely filled with harm. It's intervention. The way that it helps is harmful by the very nature of the intervention. Now, our question is how do we minimize that harm as much as possible and then help that child recover from the trauma that they've experienced through a number of reasons. I think we're at a point right now because you, you know you raised this the idea of the pandemic and the speculation that we were going to see this massive increase in neglect and abuse and all of these tragic things. I mean as the pandemic was getting started I, it was like a fake piece a week where somebody was saying get ready we're going to have all these abused kids because they're all home and they're not being watched by teachers and other adults in their lives mm-hmm. and then we looked at the data and it never happened the catastrophe mm. that many had predicted never occurred and you know one of the reasons for that is if you actually go back and look at the reporting data all of the millions of reports that come into child welfare systems a very minuscule percentage of those actually end up being confirmed as true cases of abuse and neglect. So we have this huge gap between the number of reports that come into the system and the number of true cases that are going on. Uh, The other issue that you have, and you brought this up as well, is that problem of neglect. And how do we think about neglect? Um, I was doing a little research before I came on into some of your all's data, um, and I went back to the 2019 ch- federal child maltreatment report, because the 2020 report, which is the most recent one, it's a COVID year, and so all of the numbers are mm-hmm. different. <laughs> you can't really you draw trends from them. Um, but in Arkansas, about 40% of the kids in your care are neglect-only cases. Um, meaning there was no neglect and physical abuse, or neglect and sexual abuse. Um, We did some research on that at the Texas Public Policy Foundation uh, a little while ago. And what we decided to do was look at our pure neglect cases. And in Texas, we're like 75% of the kids in our system are there for neglect. Um, So y'all are doing a lot better than we are. Um, So we looked at our pure neglect cases and we cross referenced that with child level child poverty data, or county level child poverty data and what we found was a statistically significant relationship between neglect and child poverty data boiling that down to you know what's the big takeaway is if you were a child living in one of the 25 poorest counties in Texas you were statistically more likely to go into foster care for neglect than a child living in one of the 25 wealthiest counties in Texas. Hmm. To put a finer point on it, we're actually punishing families for being poor in the state of Texas, and I find that happening across the country. Um, Neglect is often confused with poverty. And so we're harming kids, we're pulling them into a system that traumatizes them in many cases, simply because they're coming from a poor family. That's something that needs to change dramatically.
1: Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm glad you brought that up. I think that's an aspect of this that a lot of us just probably haven't thought about. Um, you know, and I think Andrew, I can safely speak, and we're speaking with Andrew Brown from the Texas Public Policy Foundation about foster care and the state of foster care in Arkansas. Um, you know, I, I think I could speak for both of us pretty confidently and say, absolutely, without exception we've got to make sure that we take care of kids and keep kids safe right there there's no there's no Absolutely. condition in which that can't occur or that shouldn't occur but we also have to make sure as you said i think very well much better than i could say you take a kid out of a out of a home and you are causing trauma by ripping that kid by taking that kid out of their home and away from their parents and so from a policy standpoint this really is about balancing those two things. Are you causing more trauma by taking them? Or are you causing more trauma by leaving them and what 's the path to the least amount of trauma that really I think should be the lens of which we 're making a lot of these policy decisions um, we got a couple more minutes here, Andrew, before we got to hop to a break. Tell me about i mean what we got a legislative session coming up. Uh, we only have a legislative session every two years here in Arkansas, similar to, I think, what y'all do there in Texas. What should state legislators and state policymakers be thinking about? I know there's a lot of them that listen to this show. What should they be thinking about going into legislative session to try to get a handle on our foster care system?
2: You need to reimagine what the entire system looks like. The modern foster care system, the modern child welfare system is outdated. And it's based on some flawed assumptions, some flawed premises. It was all well-intentioned. We did what we thought was best. And now that we're well down the road and we have decades to look back on, we need to make some massive structural changes, particularly around the area of how quick we are to separate families. The Mm -hmm. idea that protecting children necessarily requires family separation needs to i I would say that assumption needs to go away completely um and the hope that i have in looking at the child welfare landscape is we're actually starting to do that we're starting to rethink the system and move it away from you know removal is what's best to this system should be about family integrity it should be about preserving families and supporting parents to do what they in the vast majority of cases want and desire and are trying to do for their kids you know foster care as a substitute for parents is a flawed premise you know friends of mine who i talk to who say hey you work in this field we want to be foster parents what advice do you have for us i say Your job is to make sure that family can take care of their child. Your job is not to take care of the child. Hmm. Your job is to foster that entire family and help them.
1: Andrew, sorry to cut you off. We got a break. We got to run. Thank you so much for your time. Well, welcome back to The Dave Ellswick Show. This is Nick Horton filling in for Dave, a much less handsome version of Dave Ellswick, I have to say. I hope he's enjoying his time off. I want to say thanks uh, and apologies to my friend Andrew Brown. We had to go to a quick break there, but really appreciate his perspective. If you want to learn more about the great work that that he and his uh, organization are doing at Texas Public Policy Foundation, Um, they do some really great work on child welfare, tax reform, Um, welfare reform. Um, They're a Texas-focused group in a lot of ways, but they're also doing multi-state work now, and they do some really great stuff. You can learn more at TexasPolicy.com, and maybe we'll try to have Andrew on uh, back again soon since we got cut a little bit short there. But right now, uh, I want to welcome in our next guest, Washington County Judge, uh, Mr. Joseph Wood. Uh, Joseph, are you with us?
3: Oh, I'm so glad to be on the Nick Horton Show. I mean, the (laughs) day... <laughs>
1: hey, it's hey. I'm glad you're here. Sorry, I hope I didn't wake you up early. I mean, for me, this is like a you know you're you're probably up at like 4 a.m. at the gym, you know, drinking your coffee, just just killing it. Uh, but for me, uh, this was a little early.
3: Well, Dave, Dave is Dave is normally that kind of guy who gets everybody else up. He gets the Tyson chicken up to wake up at the rest of the world. That's, I guess. That's right. <laughs> uh, and same thing with our cutting judges. We we got roads and, and bridges to take care of and so we have to get up kinda of early, and make sure we all all systems go for the rest of the citizens in our county.
1: Yeah, so um, tell me tell us a little bit. I know we're in central Arkansas, you're way up there in in northwest. Tell us a little bit about what's going on in Washington County and then we're gonna we're gonna dig back into some foster care issues. But what's going on in Washington County?
3: Well God's country is up here, you know, uh, and we about to beat up on Alabama some Saturday and you know, you get up here past the tunnel, you're thinking, man, where have I, this is man, heaven, right here on earth, right here. Uh, it's a great place in the Northwest. I've been up here now 27 years. Uh, a lot is going on. You, 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 the traffic jams because of construction work and building everywhere. Uh, the growth is phenomenal. The census just came out last year and talked about the growth that's going on up here. And uh, anywhere from 35 to 37 families are moving up into this area every single day. Uh, half in Bend County, half in Washington County. The university had its highest enrollment in, in uh, some time decades, in fact. And so there's a lot of movement, a lot of growth, and it doesn't slow down. In fact, I had a, the uh, Arkansas Economic Development Institute and yesterday I've been working on the past seven months on uh, a comprehensive economic development strategy for the county. Uh, I did this about four years ago, working with the region. What is the region gonna be looking like in the coming years? but I wanted to make something very specific for Washington County. And so for about six or seven months, we've been working on the economic development strategy for Washington County, and we convened again uh, yesterday for our last time, and they'll put data and all the information together. And so sometime in October, uh, we'll have a report uh, that Washington County will be able to walk and and use as a barometer when you talk about housing, transportation, affordable housing. When you talk about work skill and, and workforce, uh, because the greatest challenge we have here, Nick, is the growth and development uh but I think that's also our greatest opportunity if leaders step up and 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 look a little beyond today mm. and get for tomorrow. so
1: yeah. No, I, we might have to have you move down here to Central Arkansas uh, and bring, bring some of that, uh, bring some of that growth and development down here. Because uh, you know, there's no reason. We got the Arkansas River. We've got a a big airport. We've got all these great folks a great community. And uh, there's no reason why we can't replicate what's happening in Northwest Arkansas, in Central Arkansas, in Northeast Arkansas. In South Arkansas, I mean, there, there's some benefits you guys have with the university and, and some big corporations and all of that, but there's no reason why we can't do that in, in every corner of the state, and I'm really excited about you know seeing that unfold over the next few years. I want to talk about foster care. I know you have uh, just an amazing personal story of what you've experienced in the foster system and then working, you know, in, in your uh, later in life uh, to, to help yeah. try to fix the foster system. But for folks that don't know kind of your background and, uh, you know, your experience in the system, would you tell us a little bit about your story and uh, and how you got to where you are?
3: Absolutely. Well, I, I always knew I was adopted. Um, uh, parents always told me they again they never hear that they couldn't have kids as the story goes they had been married about 5 years mother was a teacher and that's all she wanted was a house full of kids that she taught and then she would go home and there's nothing and so uh, my dad was a construction worker and he hated coming home from work cuz mama put him back to work she wanted to get pregnant and back then you didn't go to you didn't wet on a stick to see if you were pregnant you had to go to the hospital and my grandparents say, oh, my gosh, they're just telling all their business because every other week they're going to the hospital to see if they're pregnant. Long story short, she said, let's go to the orphanage downtown and we can get a little girl. And my dad was ecstatic because she can get off his back, if you will. Anyway, they go and they see this little boy. saying, said, no, we want to foster this little boy. So they start foster caring me, and then all of a sudden she gets pregnant. She has a kid, has another kid, has another kid, I Had three kids right after that. And um, fast forward. Uh, the laws changed in Illinois probably 12 years, 13 years ago. That said that if you were adopted in the state of Illinois, you can have your original birth certificate. At this point, I'm the deputy secretary of state down there in Little Rock, and I'm thinking, wow, I've always wanted to know. I've been searching, trying to figure out this, but it was all closed. You can have access to this information. By changing the law, anyone can get that uh, information. And most folks who are adopted, they do want that OBC. They call it the original birth certificate. I uh, applied for it. It took a month to send it, typical bureaucratic systems. They took my cash fast. They took my check and cash that fast. But months later, they finally sent the certificate. But it wasn't the original birth certificate. I have three daughters, three uh, grandkids, two son-in-laws. I know what a birth certificate looks like. They sent me a foundling birth certificate. And I'm thinking, what is that? Your listeners are probably saying, what's a foundling? Hmm. A thing means you were abandoned. You were found and uh brother horton i was i was kind of stunned. i'm 46 years old at that time and just what does that even mean and you were found on this day and again i thought that that's the day i celebrated my birthday no that's just the day you were found you were found on this day at this address by this man Caesar johnson and you're received in this orphanage by dr uh samuel adam and addison and i i just was blown back by this to think 46 years you are celebrating your birthday and uh, come to find out, that's just the that day you were found. And uh, I, I, I'm a fighter. Uh, after being shocked for a couple of weeks, I end up I got to find a doctor who took me in the orphanage. I found him. He had died in 1999. I said, "Wonder can I find the guy who found me?" And sure enough, I found the guy who found me. Uh, he was 80 years old, a Korean veteran, and his first thing was like, "I can't even believe you're alive." Uh, I, that wow! One of the coldest days in Chicago, snow and ice. I was going to work. I had just put my wife and kids to bed. And as I walked out of my apartment complex, there was a box with a blanket moving. I didn't know what it was. I took my foot to move the blanket. The blanket moved. It was a kid. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking up and I I can't see anything because it's nighttime. The snow and ice was blowing. So I picked the box up. I walked back into my apartment complex. I woke my wife, woke my neighbors. And we walked around the neighborhood trying to figure out where this kid came from. Eventually, we got the Chicago police to come. And they're walking around the neighborhood. They're asking questions. And they said, you saved this kid. He was the pros out here. We were taking him to the orphanage. And he said, man, it had to be 50 years ago. Or at this point, wow. and cr- no, it was only 46 years ago. Wow. But anyway, we had a great relation. The state of Illinois gave him a citation saying, thank you for serving our country and thank you for saving this kid. Arkansas gets a deputy secretary of state who's now running for county judge, and uh, you say this kid is this guy's life, and Arkansas benefits because of it. And his family has just been so, and they're like family now. They still call, and they knew I was running for lieutenant the governor. They were excited about seeing, quote unquote, one of their members uh, running and doing this type of thing in Arkansas. So anyway, that's, that's been my journey um, to 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 understand what a foundling is and real prevalent in the continents of Africa, China, and India, uh, hmm. but but uh, not real big in Arkansas, in the state of uh, Illinois, let alone the country of America, where you got people. But, again, you do find that kids are being abandoned in uh, garbage cans and uh, stoops and found in newspapers, and a lot of states like Arkansas have now gotten, gone into Moses Laws and Safe Haven Laws, to sure. they can give yeah. their women voices and, and so preventing some of that type of thing. And so kudos to, to those states for doing that. I would add that in changing those to make it safe uh, safe for women uh, to, who are having these kids, or and women and men, because it may be a combination doing this, uh, to have those original birth certificates accessible uh, for those who are hmm. turning 18, they can have their original birth certificates, but also their medical records. Some states say you can have your original birth certificate, but you still can't have the medical. Well, that's almost always one reason why you need to have that information because you don't have any records. You go to the, I go to the doctors now, and I get the papers right back. You know, tell us about your family history of, and they go down the list A through Z, and, and you don't know any of that, but how critical and important it is to have that information.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, we're talking with uh, Washington County Judge Joseph Wood, uh, former Deputy Secretary of State of the Great State of Arkansas. Uh, Joseph, we've got a we've got a legislative session coming up, and I know you know I was sharing uh, in the last segment a headline here that I read a few years ago: children sleeping in DHS offices because of foster care challenges right here in Arkansas. And from what I've gathered from talking to folks and doing more research, this is not. Like this was not a, an isolated incident. Like this kind of stuff happens all the time, where no there's just not enough foster homes, and there's so many foster kids and DHS. You know, it's government. They just they're doing their best. I I think I want to believe, but it's just a problem. And so with the legislative session coming up, I think a lot of people are starting to to pay attention to this issue and other issues that need to be addressed in, in January. Um, we're going to have a new governor. We're going to have a new legislature. What are some things that legislature should be thinking about? You know, you mentioned the access to the birth certificates and the medical records. I think that's a great, that's a great point um, and definitely something we should think about. Are there other things from a policy standpoint that state policymakers need to be thinking about going into the legislative session?
3: I, I think so. I think you got got two, two parts. A lot of those kids that are in the DHS, there's some kind of federal dollars that come in as well. Uh, and sometimes uh, across the country, not just Arkansas, you get dependent on those dollars because it's normally based on how many kids is per capita, and so uh, you get the money based on how many kids you got in care. And so, is there a real? Uh-huh. It's not. Or it's not that we are working toward the best outcome of the kid as it is. We're saying, hey, I got so many kids. Kind of the same thing in our our uh, department of education. We got money per kid as opposed to what is the best route, best outcomes. I think we also have uh, issues uh, between judges trying to make the call of safety versus um, uh, the uh, best for the kid from the standpoint of if I stay with their, their birth family, are they safe? Well, there's a reason why they got into the system. Something must be going on yeah. where they're not. Right. Um, And so then the second part becomes then what is the best option for them? How do we look for permanent places for them? And oftentimes is that the family, the relatives or is that adoption? I think the the formula is you got to be in uh, foster care, maybe right at almost 18 months, two years before they can start looking at uh, uh, severing your parental rights. Maybe that's too long. Um, Mm. uh, Mm. Looking at case by case and looking at the individual, uh, given what's going on with substance abuse and and drugs and, I mean, how prevalent that is. I mean, our our jails are full. The opioid epidemic has caused more pressures on these kids who are caught in the system, and yet we're still saying let's reunify. And, again, it's a noble place to say let's reunify and reunify. get the the uh, uh, parents and get them to preserve preserve the family but at what expense are, are the education being i mean they're bouncing around so where's the stability in their education where's the stability in understanding what care and love is because they end up saying love is bouncing around from place to place next thing you know i see them in my juvenile detention center because this mm. is this is this, this is all they know they want to go back to this place that was not safe, which is why they were taken in the first place.
1: Yeah, and it's yeah, that's, that's, a great, that's a great point. Sorry to cut you off. We've got to take a quick break, Judge. Can you hang on? We're, we'll come right back and do, do, a, do another segment. Okay, uh, Nick Horton on the Dave Ellswick Show. We'll be right back. We're back on the Dave Ellswick Show. This is Nick Horton of Red Truck Strategies filling in for the legendary Dave Elswick, a lot less handsome version of Dave Elswick, I have to say. I hope Dave is enjoying his time off. We are uh, fortunate to be joined right now and continue our conversation with Washington County Judge Joseph Wood. We're talking about foster care, and we're talking to uh, Judge Wood, somebody who has a lot of experience inside the system, working to help try to fix the system. I know we were talking, Judge, right before the break about what policymakers should be thinking about going into the legislative session and beyond, uh, and we got yep. cut a little bit short. Anything else you want to add in terms of yep. what we need to be thinking about to get our foster care system in shape?
3: Yep. So let me make sure I'm real clear. there would be about three or four things, Gordon, that I would uh, suggest or recommend. And one would be how do we get federal dollars to be more flexible as being more uh, per capita and really line it up to be Better outcome and best outcomes for these kids. And again, it's often hard when you're getting federal dollars. You got to pretty much do the dance that they ask you to do. Otherwise, you won't get those dollars. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know what that looks like. But how do they go in and and flex the dollars that they're getting from the feds so they can be more creative and more innovative with uh, the dollars that they're getting? The other would be with the with the tightness of families available for foster care and adoption. How do we expand our 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 groups? by looking at maybe neighboring states uh, that may have a little more numbers of available parents in the open homes and do a reciprocity. I mean, we got all the students from Texas coming up Mm -hmm. here because, again, of what we've done uh, and and sharing between the two states and and tuition and all. Let's do the same thing with our kids because, again, the kids deserve a home where it's both safe and uh, they have a permanency. They are not one or the other. The other would be looking at short-term, short uh, shortening the ter- uh, parental termination rights. I know, again, it's normally 18 to two years before, I mean, 18 to t- uh, two years that they're in uh, foster care or DHS systems uh, before they begin looking at that. Is that too long uh, to give parents an opportunity to get their preservation, get their lives back together, et cetera, to bring the kids back in? We find them kids going in, they come back out, they go in, they go back out. And so the kid's not being served well. And then the last one, and I think the most important one, given the overturning of Roe v. Wade, uh, we're going to see more kids, and we're going to see more women needing support, and I think we're going to have an opportunity to do more with getting men engaged and involved. And so I'm turning and saying we don't need to be looking at the federal government for all these answers. Let's look at our corporations and look, look, look at our churches and say, here's what we have. Where are the incentives in our our corporations, Chick-fil-A, Wendy's, Walmart just did a big thing uh, the other day about increasing fertility as a benefit for their employees. What, what How we incentivize our employees to say, yep, we want to." if you open up your home for foster care adoption, you get a XYZ benefit, the company's gonna help you, et cetera, and same thing in particular for our churches. This is our responsibility and our obligation in churches how do we open up our, our our membership to say these are our kids? These kids are coming from our communities, and how do we open up our our church and our, open up our families to say, "Yep, yeah, if I can't adopt, I can foster, and if I can't foster, I can volunteer to help take care of these kids." Those would be the four yeah. things, I guess. I would have to yeah. say, look at. Yeah. I,
1: I think those are great, and you know, you mentioned the federal government. Um, you know, if we're if we're if we're waiting on the federal government to figure this out. Uh, you know we're going to be waiting a while. Uh, I don't care. I don't care who's in the White House. I don't care. Yep. You know I don't care if they bring Ronald Reagan back. Um, we we can't count on the federal government to figure any of this out. I mean frankly we're going to be doing we're going to be doing well to get the state state government to figure it out. Um, and so. Uh, I think that's a that's a really important point. I'm a little bit I'm a little bit disconcerted uh, about what you said that you know we basically get more federal money based on how many kids are in the foster system. I mean uh, that's a little that's a little troubling to me. Um, and it's not it's not unusual in terms of how these all these other government programs work. The more people we have on Medicaid, the more federal dollars dollars we get. The more we spend on highways, the more federal matching highway dollars we get. I mean, you name the program that's how it works, and you know we talk about Arkansas being a dependency state. We've got one yeah. in three people on Medicaid now. We're a dependency state on the federal government. We're a dependency Absolutely. state on on federal taxpayers to float our our state budget, uh, and that's a that's a big problem.
3: Here was an opportunity we have. I think that when the before they went into session, uh, we, we're running at that one point five billion in surplus, one point six billion in surplus. Here's what my call was, let's go ahead and take $500 million and figure out how we decouple ourselves from the federal government when it comes to education, DHS, where we're not being tied and getting the drip or the drug from the federal government. Then that allows us to be more flexible to do what we wanted to do, get more creative, whether it be uh, school choice or whether it be doing some other things with our foster system. Hmm. Um, Because we are no longer saying we need that money coming from the federal government. We have now figured out, you know what, we're going to cut off, we're going to reduce the dependency that we have uh, on the federal government because we now have so much surplus. We see where this money is coming in. We see what's going on with the Internet tax law. And and the the revenues continue to come in in some some form or fashion. How do we go ahead and repurpose those dollars to support and help us figure out the problem as opposed to, again... Relying on the federal government to sustain and, and keep us going.
1: Totally agree. Totally agree. Washington County Judge Joseph Wood, thank you so much for for joining us. I know it's early. Uh, thank you. We got to go to a hard break. This is Nick Horton filling in for the Dave Ellswick show. We'll be back right after the top of the hour. Thanks, Judge.
3: Be good. Take care.
1: Dave Ellswick show this is not Dave Ellswick uh, this is Nick Horton and uh, we're here for our second hour really excited to uh, be filling in for Dave today I um, hope he's enjoying whatever he's doing taking some well-earned time off and uh, yeah we've been talking about foster care the last hour or so and want to continue that conversation so important I mean I, I've shared this headline but if you're just tuning in, This was a headline that I read a few years ago and just completely consumed my uh, attention and really got me sucked into this issue and and the importance of this. Children sleeping in DHS offices because of foster care challenges. And I've dug into that, and I've talked to more folks, talked to state legislators, talked to folks uh, in the foster system that are serving as foster parents and respite families. This is not... A rare occurrence From what I've gathered This is not like A one-off thing Like yeah We were a little bit Too busy And we had to have Some kids sleep In DHS offices Because we didn't Have anywhere to put them This this happens um, Fairly regularly And we had Andrew Brown On in the last hour From Texas Public Policy Foundation telling us this isn't even really unique to Arkansas. Um, This is just a problem with the foster system where because of addiction, because of uh, homelessness, because of a crime crisis that we're experiencing here in central Arkansas in particular, there's a lot of kids coming into the foster system now. and We've got a responsibility, all of us, not just the policymakers, not just state legislators, not just the folks at DHS, but all of us as a community, as our Kansas. To make sure that this this never happens again, um, that is something that we should all be resolving ourselves to, to commit to. Um, so, with that in mind, I'm really proud, uh, happy to be joined by State Representative Tony Furman. He's here in studio, uh, Representative. Thanks for coming by. Thanks for having me. Yeah, um, you're. Uh, tell t- tell us a little bit about your district. I know we just went through redistricting, so. Everything's changed. Um, but tell us a little bit about just generally the area that you represent.
4: Sure. I'm a state rep for a district currently 28, about to be 82, which is the south oh, part flip, of Just flip the numbers. Right. Yeah. So it's the south part of, Silling, of Benton. Okay. Um, I, go in, I lost most of Haskell with, with redistricting. I really just kind of centralized around Benton. But a little bit of Bauxite, a little bit of Bryant. Okay. Just a Smith. Saline County. Saline County. Pretty much all Celine County or do you go into any other well, counties at all? No, yeah, just Celine County, okay. but okay. about half of it. And then
1: you'll be going into what what number term is this for you coming up? it will be my second. Second term? Okay. Um well that's exciting. So um uh talk to me a little bit about just what made you decide to run for office.
4: Yeah, it's a crazy story. You know, I sell real estate and I was waiting for a client to show up to a house and I heard on the radio that my current state rep wasn't seeking reelection, so it was an open seat. So I started praying on it. At first, I thought it was just kind of like a daydream, like a what-if, maybe-one-day kind of thing. But the more I thought about it, the more I prayed about it, kind of felt tugged to, to run for it. So here I am.
1: Wow. Had you ever run for office before? Nothing. Nothing. And you just threw your hat in the ring. And you won a primary the, the first go-around, right, in 2020? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Um, what was it like? You know, I've been at the Capitol um, a lot more than i ever wanted to be to be honest (laughs) and uh but you know you get elected in november right and then mid january early january it's off to the races i mean you are thrown into the deep end and i think in arkansas it's easy to you know it's hard sometimes to have this perspective of what it's like in states around us if you haven't been there but tennessee missouri uh, texas a lot of these states around us they've got legislative staff they've got uh they've got really active state based think tanks they've got they've got this support structure around them so that when you get elected to the state legislature
4: you got some help that's not quite the experience that you well, guys get here right We do have an amazing team you know constituent services they yeah. do a really yeah. good job of making us look good
1: yeah <laughs> yeah, but as far as training and getting i mean getting ready for session on a policy standpoint i mean it's, yeah. you're, you're off in the deep end, right?
4: So, I mean, technically, they do give us a freshman orientation, but it's very basic. It says, you know, the red button means no, the green button means yes. All right, have fun. That's yeah. That's the orientation in a nutshell.
1: Yeah. Well, at least I got the colors right because right. uh, that could be really confusing. Um, well, so tell me about what what were a couple of things you worked on last session? Um,
4: you know, that you're really proud of, um, that you want to you know you want folks to know about. Yeah. So the first bill that I passed was probably the one I'm the most proud of. It um, was inspired by a former foster kid of mine, had him for about two years, okay? The day he turned 18, he signed himself out of care, which a lot of kids do, and he went back to live with his mom. Well, when he lived with me, you know, we got him a job, I drove him to work every day, got him a driver's license, and he was set up for success. But within a year of leaving care, his mom had passed away, and he Mm. was carjacked at gunpoint in Little Rock, And he was homeless, basically. He was kind of just bouncing from couch to couch. And he calls me one day and says, hey, can you come pick me up and take me to church Sunday? I said, absolutely. So I go pick him up. I don't know any of the stuff that had happened. So after church, I take him out for lunch just to catch up. And he tells me everything that had happened and that he had tried to reach back out to DHS to get some assistance because you can stay in care until you're 21. And um, he was 19 at the time. But since he didn't have a vehicle, he couldn't get to court to reenter the care and I'm, I, I was thinking man this shouldn't be this hard for a kid who you know qualifies for some help yeah. to reach out because you know like I, mean, I think back when i was 20 you know 1920 in college and struggling i can call my parents and they could help me out but these kids don't have that so for better or for worse the state kind of serves that that role temporarily um, so I filed a bill that just did away with that court process to where if a kid reaches out and DHS is willing to take them back, which 99% of the time they are. I was talking to uh, Director Martin about that, and I said, well, what you know would make you guys not want to help them out? And basically she just said, like, if they're on drugs and they refuse to get off of it or, you know, if they're living some dangerous lifestyles and they just refuse to get away from it, then they're not going to. I said, okay, it's understandable. So we ran that bill, got, you know, bipartisan support. Senator Hammer ran it for me on the Senate end. It passed. Um, That young man reentered care. We got him into an apartment in Benton, another job. He bought another car, and fast forward two years, he's doing great. He actually just joined the Navy, so super proud of him. And since that bill had been passed, I believe something like 75 youth have reentered care and Getting some assistance,
1: so they weren't. If they opted out, they weren't able to come back. Was that the problem?
4: No, they they were able to, but they had to petition the court. Got gotcha. you. Okay,
1: so we simplified the process for them. Right, because okay. a
4: lot of these kids, they hear the word court or judge, and they get defensive. They feel like they're being punished. They don't. They don't want to go through that process again sure. because of the trauma they experienced yeah. when they were a minor. So they just don't do it, and they just struggle and end up homeless or worse.
3: Wow. Um,
1: yeah, no, I'm I'm glad you're I'm glad you're paying attention to that. Um we need more folks paying attention to those those types of problems. Um you mentioned a second piece of legislation or anything else you did last session that you wanted to talk about.
4: Yeah, that was well, yeah, that was the only bill that I was the main sponsor of. I ran a few, you know, Senate bills. Uh, Senator one for Senator Hammer that just dealt with uh, some municipal utility poles and being able to fly city or state flags on those poles. I ran a bill for Senator Clark that gave the judge discretion to open up the juvenile court to interested third parties like youth pastors, football coaches, teachers just to kind of give these, you know, mm-hmm. juveniles comfort in the courtroom. It's not always closed mm-hmm. now, so that passed. And um I ran a bill, me and Senator Mark Johnson ran a pro-life bill that, you know, put some, you know, limits on abortion and added re- reporting requirements, you know. You always hear the argument like what about like rape and incest when you say okay well, what were the numbers on that and they haven't been being reported so we started requiring those numbers to be reported and then fast forward our trigger bill took effect so yeah that bill isn't really needed anymore yeah. which is great
1: yeah so you mentioned your your work in the foster system you've been a foster parent mm-hmm. um what's that experience been like how, how long have you been serving as a foster parent and you know what do you think folks folks that are listening you know, that maybe haven't been directly involved or exposed to the system uh, and, and involved with these kids that, that are, you know, going through these these challenges, um, you know, what, what 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 do they need to know about the foster system?
4: Right. So, I've been in foster, my wife and I have been foster parents for about six years, and we've done it in different, you know, different ways. You can respite care, which, if you're wondering, well, what does respite care mean? It's basically... Like substitute house parents, where you go give the main house, the main foster parents a break if they want to go out for a date or take a trip or something, and they just need a little bit of time just to you know cool down. So yeah, six years. Um, I'll say people thinking about it, it can be intimidating at first. You know, when when we got started, I had no idea what foster care really looked like. My wife and I were both educators, and we drove out to this place called Second Chance Youth Ranch, which is this middle kind of town type thing in the middle of Perrin and I'm looking at this these kids and I see this one about 17 year old about 250 pounds taller than me and I'm thinking oh man I gotta keep my eye on this kid well he actually ended up giving us a tour of his house okay so this kid that looked a little scary is showing us their rooms okay and all these bunk beds this kid has his drawings typed up to his bunk bed and he's showing me these pictures, about 10 of them. And he's saying they're future tattoo ideas. But in that moment, this big, scary 17-year-old teenager became like my, at the time, like three- or four-year-old son, just showing me you know, pictures that he's been drawing. Like, Daddy, look at look what I drew. And he just wanted that affirmation. And I felt like a jerk for thinking that this kid was going to be trouble. And that's the moment I'm like, yeah, I need to do something. So. Wow
1: so y- y'all decided to get involved i know a lot of folks i think i think in the church community the nonprofit community there's some great groups out there um the call project zero great group second chance they there's some great work around foster care but i know i mean i my wife and i ex- have experienced this where it's like we want to help we want to get involved but the licensing process to actually get there uh seems really daunting what what was your experience and what would you say to folks that are considering getting involved what's a what's an easy way to, for them to help out
4: Yeah reach out to some of these organizations that are doing the work like Second Chance Ranch for example we are a foster care placement agency we can actually partner with you and help you get your house open so you're not navigating that process by yourself That's part of my wife's job actually she she will go to your house and you know do the home study with you and ask you questions and really make it simple
1: that's great. That's great. Um, I think I'm looking at Heidi. Do We need to, we need to take a quick break. Um, we're talking with uh, State Representative Tony Furman, uh, District 28, soon to be 82. Did that's, I get that right? So, okay, right. so we're just switching the numbers. I'm never going to forget that now. Uh, this is Nick Corton filling in for Dave Ellswick. We'll be right back. This is the Dave Ellswick Show, and this is not Dave Ellswick. This is Nick Horton, uh, CEO of Red Truck Strategies. Happy, very, very happy to be joined by State Representative Tony Furman here in studio. Um, Representative, we got you for another seven or eight minutes here before the the half-hour break. Um, We're talking about foster care, and we're talking about just... What's going on in the foster care system in Arkansas? How folks can get involved? Um, You know, I've shared this headline several times children sleeping in DHS offices because of foster care challenges. To me, when I saw that a few years ago, Um, you know, I, I don't know if I slept that night. Uh, it was just so upsetting to me that we don't have the resources or we don't have the system in place. I don't, you know, there's a lot of aspects to it, right? It's, it's hard to pinpoint exactly one thing that's driving that. Um, but that should never happen again, right? That should never happen again.
4: No, absolutely not. You know, if Arkansas is the most pro-life state in the union, then we, I believe we have a moral obligation to be the most pro foster care state in the union as well. I
1: I totally agree with that. Um, and I know we were talking a little bit before the break about some things you worked on. you were a freshman last session, but you came in, got right to work, and got your hands dirty and did some great legislation. A lot of people, you know, it's October, uh is it October? It's almost October. Almost. To me to me it's October. Uh it's almost October and we're getting getting into the deep into the election cycle here, and the minute the election's over, uh, and maybe even a few minutes before It's legislative session, right? I mean, we don't officially start until January, but bill filings opening. People are starting to think about what they're going to work on next session. We're going to have a new governor coming in, which I think we're all really excited about. What are some things I know, you know, you you may not be ready to go in depth uh, into, into everything you want to work on next session. But let me ask it this way. When we get when we get to the end of legislative session in April, when we come back, we sign and die, we're done. What what are three or four things that you would say we could look back on as a state, as taxpayers, as conservatives, and say we had a good session? We we did something meaningful for the people of Arkansas in this legislative session. What does that look like for you?
4: Sure, I I, I know education is going to be a big big topic. Yeah, you know Sarah's been very open about you know her goals to reform our education system and a lot of legislators have been having meetings about what to do school safety is another part of that I was in a meeting yesterday about that actually teacher salaries is you know has been a big issue going in that last special session we had totally so we yeah. do, do something about that be competitive so yes education. Yeah, I've had a lot of legislators reach out to me about foster care, since that's the theme of the morning. And everyone asks me, they say, oh, so you're an expert in this. So what you? I'm like, whoa, hold on, slow down, slow down. Call me an expert. <laughs> hey, you are yeah. an expert. You are an expert. I, don't tell yourself I've short. seen it from a different point of view than most people. That's right. But that's right. to say an expert, yeah, I don't know. Well to me you're an expert
1: so Thank you. don't sell yourself short cuz you've been, you've been working in the system right and now you've also seen it from the legislative perspective and you've been in meetings with DHS you know you you've been at the table when we're trying to figure out how do we solve some of these problems so i think you're you know in all seriousness don't sell yourself short because you're one of like One one hundredth of a percent of people uh, in the world probably that have that perspective from inside and outside as a policymaker. Um, And, you know, you should just own that because, uh, you know, we need your expertise.
4: Well, thank you. Now I feel powerful and go take on the day when I leave here. So that's what I needed. Thank you. Now, <laughs> now you know how. I
1: mean, you, you should imagine how powerful I feel over here in Dave Ellswick's <laughs> chair um, with this big microphone. Um, so, anything else about the upcoming session or anything? Just what what are you watching in the election? What do you think's going to happen? I know everybody's watching the national scene. Are we going to take the House? Are we going to take the Senate? Um, but here in Arkansas, you know, there's there's some competitive legislative races as well. Um, the governor's race uh, is not super competitive. I think think we all know uh how that race is going to go
4: uh newsom's hundred thousand dollars
1: even with even even with gavin newsom's uh hundred thousand dollars i think i think we're going to be okay um but any any state races uh you think folks need to be paying particular attention to
4: you know honestly nick i am horrible about following other people's races (laughs) i just you know
1: well i should have asked you about your own right i should have asked you 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 do have an opponent right this this cycle yeah yes how are you feeling
4: I'm feeling confident. Feeling good. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm confident that my voting. If you're confident, I'm confident. So voters in my district, what they're going to like. So. Yeah. 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 uh It's a libertarian
1: candidate. It is. is that right? Okay. um You going to have any debates or anything?
4: He hasn't asked me. Yet, but no.
1: <laughs> well, maybe we'll do it right here on the Dave Ellswick show. Uh, you know, we got it. We got an extra microphone. Um, no, that's great. Um, what uh, what what do you think about? Are you a football fan? I am. Okay. Um, and I meant to ask Judge Wood this last segment. Any predictions for this weekend?
4: So it's a big game. So bring up back Judge Wood for a minute. You know he's you know from Illinois. Yeah. And I was born in Illinois. I moved to Arkansas when I was in seventh grade. And when he when he we he won't was, hold that against I you. I know. Yeah. I'm, I've been forgiven by most people. Yeah. For <laughs> that. But I'm a big Chicago Bears fan. I okay. Say. I mean that's that's tough to say. Because they've not been good at all my entire life. You know, the last time they were you know, good was the Super Bowl, and I wasn't born yet. So there's that. But whenever Judge Wood came to Saline County when he was campaigning for lieutenant governor, he, he talks about how he was you know, born in Illinois. I, raised, I asked a question at the end. I said, okay, so you're from Illinois? I said, Cubs or Sox? And he said, both. I said, no, sir. <laughs> that, yeah, that, you know, I'm not from Illinois, but I'm pretty sure that's not you know, allowed. It's yeah. not. And yeah. my family is proof of that. We have one uncle who's a Cubs fan, and we don't talk to him.
1: Oh, man. That's pretty intense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I... So, I'm a Titans fan. I was born in Tennessee. Um, They they changed from the Oilers to the Titans when I was, like, in junior high. And I just got really... You know, we haven't been super great either other than, uh, you know, the year that Kurt Warner beat us in the Super Bowl. Steve McNair uh, with the last second touchdown pass and half a yard short. Um, But I've always loved the Bears. I just... They're like the Yankees of, of football, right? I mean, you've got Gale Sayers and Brian Piccolo and Walter Payton, and uh, if you if you folks haven't seen the movie Brian Song, the original mm-hmm. movie Brian Song, one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, so much history with the Chicago mm-hmm. Bears. But what about the Razorbacks? Hogs against Alabama. Any predictions? <laughs> what do you think is going to happen? Mm. It's going to be tough. Yeah. It's gonna be tough, but it's at home, right?
4: We got a shot. Sure. We always have yeah. a shot. There's always a shot. Yeah.
1: No predictions. No predictions. Okay. Are you gonna watch the game? You know it? Yeah. You're a Hawks fan, right? Yeah. You're not a you're not like an Illinois, I'm not Illinois, Illinois fan only. or something. No. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well you know, they got Bielema now. I mean, you know, you could be a, you could be an Illinois fan after uh well, I don't know. I don't know if you're still a Bielema fan after <laughs> the way things happened here, but I, I liked Bielema. I'm gonna be honest with you. I thought you know he, I, I would have given him another year or two. I thought, you know, we had a couple. He had a couple of uh, down seasons there, but there are a few seasons there. We mm-hmm. won seven, eight games, and I feel like we were on the rise a little bit. I don't know. That's an unpopular take. I'm going to get a lot of hate on Twitter for that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, um, representative I'll
4: probably get more for being a Bears fan, to be honest.
1: Yeah, yeah, you might, but you know, you're not, like we don't have a professional team here, right. so I feel like when you live in Arkansas, you can kind of pick whatever you know professional team you want um and
4: most people pick the cowboys
1: most people pick the cowboys Um, it's it's very unfortunate um i have dak prescott on my fantasy team and he's been hurt all season um and i'm open three in my fantasy football league which is uh which is not good, not good. Um, we're, about to, we're about to wrap up and go to a hard break here. State Representative Tony Furman, just want to say thanks so much for coming in. Um, it was great to see you, great to hear about all your great work last session and what you're thinking about coming up. Um, yeah, stay in touch, and thanks for all you're doing for Absolutely. the people. Thanks yeah. for having me, Nick. All right. Uh, got to go to a break. This is Nick Horton sitting in for Dave Elswick. When we come back, we'll be joined with Congressman Bruce Westerman. Stay tuned the dave Ellswick show this is nick horton filling in for the legendary dave elswick i uh, can't thank dave enough for the opportunity to do this to get to sit on this side of the table um kind of surreal kind of uh you know i, I was saying earlier I, there's no telling how many times i've been on dave's show uh going back to uh, even the early 2000s when i was Rabble-rousing in Searcy, fighting local tax increases, and trying to put some transparency into our state government. And Dave would call me up or, or send me a tweet or something and say, hey, come Blitterock, Rock, come on the show. And, uh, you know, just a kid, just a, just a pup. Uh, and Dave would have me on and let me talk about what was going on in Searcy. And I uh, can't thank him enough for all of those opportunities and the opportunity to be here today. And uh, just talk about what's going on in our state. Uh, what What's on the mind of voters and the taxpayers coming up in this election cycle. Going into next legislative session. Um, you know, there's a lot of work to be done. And uh, I was telling someone the other day. It's it's taken a long time to dig some of these holes, right? We've got one in three people on Medicaid now. I'm going to say that again. One in three people on Medicaid now in the state of Arkansas. Two out of three kids in Arkansas are born onto Medicaid. Now, that's not their fault, right? We're not blaming them, but you're born onto Medicaid. You're on Medicaid. A lot of times... You're there for a really long time. And uh, I don't think that's the culture that we want to have for our state long term. I think we've got to get to a place where we've got more people working, contributing, paying into the system so that we can take care of low-income kids, seniors, the elderly. That's where we need to be focusing our resources. But we've added almost 400,000 able-bodied adults to our Medicaid program. Able-bodied, working-age, okay, 18- to 64-year-old people to our Medicaid program just in the last 9- to 10 years. It's a massive amount of growth. And we're paying for it. And we're paying for it not only out of our pockets, but also because those people, a lot of them now, are no longer participating in our economy. They're on the sidelines. And we've got a massive labor shortage. And we'll have uh, Congressman Westerman on here uh, in a few minutes and maybe talk to him about some of these issues. Because we need more people in the workforce. It's a factor. It's a fact. You know, everybody's talking about inflation, right? Everybody's talking about rising gas prices and the cost of groceries that has just skyrocketed. There's a lot of factors. There's a lot of things that go into that. But some of it is being driven by this labor shortage. If you own a small business or any type of business in the state of Arkansas, it's really difficult to find workers right now. Everybody's got to sign up, help wanted, help wanted, $500 sign on bonus, excellent benefits. I mean, they're they're just begging for workers. And what's the effect of that? Well, the effect of that is the cost of hiring goes up. Employers, small businesses have to pay workers more, which is a great thing, right? We all want everyone to make more money. I think we all agree on that. But this is not the right way to do it, because now the cost of hiring's gone up. When the cost of hiring goes up, guess what else happens? The cost of everything goes up. The cost of goods and services and groceries and gas and ink pens and printer paper and food and whatever it is that you're buying, it goes up. And this is a major, major problem. And you know, we can talk about the pandemic, we can talk about all of these other factors that might be playing into that. But at the end of the day, in, to some degree, it doesn't it doesn't really matter fully how we got here. What matters is that we're here. And we're in a place where you know, in Arkansas, look, we, you know, our unemployment rate is low right now. We're doing better than some of our neighboring states. Grateful for that. We should be grateful for that. But some of that is driven by the fact that some people have dropped out of the workforce. So the unemployment rates come down because those people are no longer being factored in when the unemployment rate is calculated. That's not a good thing. We need more people working. Businesses need workers. Workers. And the cost of everything is going up because of this labor shortage. I know the uh, National House Republicans, I think this week or maybe late last week, released this commitment to America. And kind of their plan for how to tackle some of these things at the federal level. So we'll talk to Congressman Westerman about that uh, whenever he's on. um, Any moment, We'll, we'll talk with him. But there's things that need to be done at the state level. We need to put more money in people's paychecks. When you put money in people's paychecks, guess what happens? They spend it. They go to your local coffee shop and your local bakery and your local mom and pop store, and they spend money. And they spend money in in Arkansas small businesses. What if we took what if we took a billion dollars let's just say let's just pick a number what if we took a billion dollars out of the state budget and put it into tax cuts put it into people's pockets and put it to work for the people of Arkansas what if instead of taking all of this money and stocking it away at DHS or DFNA or one of these big, you know, DEA Department of Education. What if instead of doing that, we just said, you know what, Arkansas? We're gonna let you keep that money. And instead of sucking it out of the economy, we're gonna let you use it. We're gonna let you put it to work. And then those folks, you and I, we're gonna go out and spend that money in our local economies. And the result of that is going to be more people working, more people able to pay their bills, the cost of goods finally starting to come down, our Arkansas small businesses that have just been ravaged by the pandemic. You know, I'll I'll give Governor Hutchinson some credit. We didn't shut down fully like some other states did. But we shut down some things, and there's ripple effects for that. I think, I think for the rest of our lives, for the rest of my life certainly, we'll still be feeling some of the ripple effects from the pandemic, from these partial shutdowns, if you want to call them. I think it's going to take a long time for us to figure out, and we'll probably never know every aspect of that and how it's affected us and our kids and our economy and our families. There's a lot of work to be done to get back to where we were. It took us a long time to dig ourselves into this hole and it's going to take us a little bit of time to climb out. But I think we're, as a state, I think we're starting to turn that corner. We're starting to climb. We got to take a break. This is Nick Horton filling in for Dave Ellswick. We'll be right back. Nick Horton, Red Truck Strategies, filling in for Dave Ellswick on the Dave Ellswick show, much less beautiful version of Dave Ellswick, um, but very happy to be here. Um, we're waiting potentially for a Congressman Westerman to call in um, if he's able to. We'll get him in um, before the the top of the hour here. Um, but in the meantime, you're stuck with me. Sorry, I got uh, got some chatter from the peanut gallery during the break that. Uh, they're really they're really anxious to hear another guest and they're tired of my monologues. But you know what? I've got the microphone, uh, and I've waited about thirty five years for this opportunity, so I'm just gonna talk. Uh and we're just gonna talk about some stuff. Um, yeah, uh big big football game this weekend. I don't know, uh i don't don't, i've not really heard dave talk a ton about sports but i know he likes the razorbacks um and uh big game this weekend i only got to see part of the a&m game had some uh personal commitments and just got to see the very end which was actually probably the worst part to to get to see um but you know i think this team i feel like they're gonna bounce back uh i feel like they're going to really get up and motivated for this Alabama game. It's at home. Um, if I remember correctly, it was pretty close last year. And I think coming off of a loss is really probably the best possible scenario for this this young team uh, and this new coach uh coach Pittman. So I'm really excited. I think it's going to be a huge game. I hate to make any predictions. Uh you know, they say they say predictions are tough to make especially about the future. Um, so I don't want to. I don't want to forecast. I'm not good at forecasting, uh, particularly um, in sports. But I think it's going to be a really good game, and I think this is probably the best shot that we've had, you know, since Nick Saban has been at, at Alabama. Certainly, at least in the last eight or nine years, to, to really uh, take home a win. So I'm excited. I'm sure you're excited uh it's going to be it's going to be a great weekend and what about this weather i mean is it finally fall i don't know i i hate to get my hopes up because i feel like you know there's always a, there's always a day right there's always one day where you walk outside about this time of year late september early october and that just cool you know, early in the morning you know you walk outside and that cool air just kind of hits your face, and I can almost feel it just, just talking about it. Um, and I had a little bit of that this morning, and I thought, man, is it finally fall? Um, I don't know if it is, because I feel like it always tricks us. We get a day like that, and then it'll be 105 degrees next week, if I had to guess. So we'll have to wait and see. Trying not to get my hope up too much. Um, but I saw, I saw a great meme the other night. Uh, uh, I can't remember exactly how it was phrased, but basically it said, you know, it's it's, it's under 75 degrees, and so now it's soup weather. Um, and I can really relate to that, because the minute it gets down to like 65 degrees, I'm thinking about my wife's chili. She makes the best chili. I'm um, thinking about some white beans and cornbread. I'm thinking about my mother-in-law's vegetable soup uh, with some broccoli cornbread, Uh, It's almost soup season and I don't know, you know A lot of us pumpkin people kind of get a bad rap uh, You know, if you're into the pumpkin spice stuff and all that. I'm not a huge pumpkin spice guy, okay, but I love the pumpkin stuff I mean, I love pumpkin bread. My wife made some pumpkin bread this weekend Um, You know, I got to go to Trader Joe's and get the pumpkin uh, cookies Um, anything pumpkin like I'm all about it, and I'm probably going to get some hate. If you want to send me some hate, you can do it on Twitter. That's the best place to do it. That's where people usually send me hate. Um, I also actually hate Twitter, but I am on there, and I'll read your tweets. So if you want to tweet me at nh horton at nh horton um that's where you can send your your hate and and you can send questions um we've got a couple of breaks uh without guests a couple segments coming up without guests and i'll i'll respond uh if you if you'd like so send me a tweet at nh horton um and we'll we'll see if we can uh engage a little bit there um we've been talking a lot about foster care this hour we've had a couple national foster care experts on we had State Representative Tony Furman on to talk about work that he's done in the foster care system, but also as a state policymaker to try to fix some of what I would call systemic problems with the foster care system. We got a lot more work to do there. Um, Again, took us a while to dig this hole. We're not going to climb out of it overnight. So we've got some more work to do on the foster care system. But, you know, all these problems are so they're so interconnected, you know, that our foster care problem in a lot of ways is driven by our addiction crisis. Right. And our addiction crisis is driving a lot of our crime problem and our crime crisis. I mean, I think it's easy for us because we live in it to lose sight of how bad the crime problem has really gotten. and I'm talking to a Little Rock audience, so I probably don't have to tell you guys, but where I live in Conway, outside of Faulkner County, um, in Saline County, where Representative Furman's from, all these outer areas, uh, kind of the suburbs, and really even in the rural parts of the the state, it's becoming a problem. It's not just a Little Rock problem anymore. It's becoming a, a massive problem for our entire state. Um, I remember back in the spring, we had two homicides in the city of Conway within about forty eight hours, just a few miles from where my family lives and That was really a wake up call i mean this is this is a problem that I just don't think we can avoid any longer it's going to it's going to destroy our state it's going to destroy our culture it's going to destroy our way of life um So I don't know. I don't have all the answers. I've got some of them. I know there's some things that we could fix. But frankly, a lot of them are just economic answers, right? A lot of them are just, let's get more people into the workforce. Because if you're working, you are far less likely to fall into crime and to fall into welfare and to fall into all of these other government traps. So let's, let's start there. And let's start having conversations about how do we make it easier, as easy as possible, for people to work in the state of Arkansas. I want Arkansas to be the easiest place in the world to start a business, to work, to provide for your family. That's my goal. Uh, and I know there's a lot, of the, a lot of you out there that agree with that. So we're going to talk about that more next hour We've got uh, some great guests coming up Um, And I'll just go ahead and tell you Because I'm pretty excited And by the way, when I say the next hour I mean 9 o'clock We've got an hour break We'll come back at 9 o'clock We've got a bonus hour of the Dave Ellswick show With the less handsome version of Dave Ellswick Nick Horton And at the top of the hour the beginning of the hour We're going to talk to Brian Blaze. He's the CEO of the Paragon Health Institute. He's a former health care advisor, special health care advisor to President Trump. This guy worked in the White House for at least three years. I want to say maybe the entire first term, but he was there for a while. Um, before that, he'd done a lot of work in the healthcare world, worked at the Mercatus Center for a long time. He's done a lot of great work on dependency and health care reform. And how do we reorient these programs to make sure that, yes, they're there. When people fall in hard times, when, when seniors and low-income kids, pregnant women, all these really important populations, when they need help, they need to get it. And we need to make sure that we're set up to do that and do that really well. The problem is we're trying to be all things to all people. And we've opened up our Medicaid program to basically everyone. And I don't think people really fully understand that or grasp that. It's not something that's, it's not sexy to talk about on, on the radio or on a news article. It's just not something that a lot of people realize, but Brian blaze is going to come and talk to us about some things we should be thinking about, uh, going into the next legislative session, um, to fix our Medicaid program and to fix our healthcare system in Arkansas. Then we're gonna have Trent Miner really excited to talk to Trent Miner uh, he's one of these great young conservatives that's running for office up around Conway trying to take out an entrenched Democrat so we're going to talk to him about his campaign what's he hearing from people what are the issues that are on people's minds and then and then and not necessarily in this order because I'm I saved this one for last but At about 9.15, you're going to want to call in because we're going to talk to, well, should I say, I don't know, should I say or should I wait? I'm trying to decide. I'll tell you what, we're going to talk to someone that also used to work in the Trump White House and has some Arkansas connections. That's all I'm going to say. I'm going to tease it. I'm going to leave it there. You're going to have to tune back in at 9.05. And we'll talk to Brian Blaze, talk to Trent Minner, and we'll talk to someone else who used to work in the Trump administration. You're going to want to hear it. Uh, This is Nick Horton, filling in for Dave Ellswick, owner of Red Truck Strategies. You can learn more about us at redtruckstrategies.com, redtruckstrategies.com. We work on research, messaging, polling. If you're a nonprofit, if you're a business owner, even, we can help you take your message to your customers. Hopefully, I've at least communicated something on the radio today that's demonstrated my ability to deliver a message. Um, but check us out, and we're gonna we're gonna take a break for about an hour, and we'll be back at nine o'clock. So join us back here at nine o'clock on the Dave Ellswick program. To the Dave Ellswick show. what—that That is the best intro. You know, I had never heard. I didn't know where that song came from. And I've listened to Dave for like 20 years. And I was walking through an airport or something one day. And I was like, oh, my gosh, they're playing the Dave Ellswick theme song. And I had no, is it ACDC or something like that? I, I don't even know. Um, but apparently that's a that's a very popular song. Um, and I'm probably uh, showing my age and the fact that I was homeschooled. Um, uh, very sheltered uh, upbringing. Um, but hey, it's Nick Horton, guest hosting for Dave Elswick. Uh, Dave, I hope you're having... Great time off, uh, getting, some, uh, getting some time away from the busyness and the chaos of the, uh, the radio industry and recharging. Um, I'm going to hop right into it. We've got a little bit of a short segment here on the front end, so I want to go ahead and introduce our very special guest, uh, Dr. Brian Blaze, uh, the president of the Paragon Health Institute, uh, longtime uh, health care advisor in the White House. Brian, thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, Nick. Great to be with you. Hey, it's great to, great to have you on. Um, so, tell us a little bit, I know Paragon, I mean, you guys came on the scene not that long ago, but you've made such a splash that it feels like, feels like you've been around forever. Um, but I'm not sure in Arkansas, in this, in this market, how familiar people are with y'all's work. So, tell us a little bit about Paragon, uh, what you guys are focused on, and kind of the origins uh, of your organization.
5: Sure. We just brought on to the team a great uh, uh, research fellow, too. Uh, Nick, we're glad to have you as as part of the team. Um, You know, uh, those of us that support free markets and limited government and have an interest in public policy have too long neglected the importance of health policy. And I think during uh, Obamacare, you know, uh, Republicans and conservatives knew that they were opposed to it uh, and came up with a repeal and replace slogan. Um, But what we need to do is put meat on the bones, have policies that go with an agenda that promotes consumer choice, market competition, uh, really limited regulation so that uh, uh, people are free and, and people can innovate uh, to create the products that are needed to improve uh, our patients' health. Um, uh, we've got major problems with our entitlement programs. Medicare and Medicaid just aren't delivering value uh, for the tremendous expense uh, that, that, that they put on taxpayers. So we need to be in the game, and Paragon, uh, I formed Paragon and put together a team that has worked uh, largely, uh, many of them has worked the senior levels in government, they know how to change policy, uh, they know what the problems are, um, and we need to be able to put forward you know, free market uh, alternatives to, uh, to, to government's current uh, programs and policies.
1: Yeah, well, it, it, very well said, and I think you're going to have a you're going to have a lot of success with that message, particularly in Arkansas, because I think a lot of people are are catching on to this problem of 1.1 million now, 1.1 million people out of, in a state of three million people that are dependent on Medicaid, um, and everybody wants the program to be there for people that really need it, but. If we have everyone on the program, we don't have anyone paying for the program, um, that, that sort of becomes a problem at some point. So I know, Brian, I know a lot of your expertise is at the federal level, but I know you also have really your finger on the pulse of what's happening in states. So on that topic of Medicaid, you know, again, we're, we're facing a lot of challenges with that in Arkansas. What are some things? We've got a legislative session coming up. We've got a new governor coming into office. What are some things state policymakers should be thinking about going into our legislative session in terms of how to fix Medicaid and make it more sustainable for people that really need it?
5: Yeah, Nick, well, you you, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, the real problem is uh, enrollment in Medicaid, and it's not just Arkansas. I mean, it sounds like uh, in Arkansas more than one in three Uh, people are on Medicaid, Uh, and that's an issue in a lot of states, particularly states that, um, you know, in my view, uh, uh, adopted Obamacare's Medicaid expansion, uh, which was, you know, deeply problematic and takes resources away from the people that really need the program, you know, the low-income pregnant women, uh, individuals with disabilities, and uh, 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 expanding the program to able bodied working adults and crowding out. Uh, services uh, for the truly vulnerable. What states need to do is uh, eligibility determinations. Uh, one of the things that the states should certainly look at um, is starting eligibility determinations right away. There is a federal uh, provision of one of the original coronavirus relief bills that essentially uh, uh, bribed states not to do eligibility determinations by uh, paying states greater uh, money from Washington. I think the reality is for a lot of states, they're not getting uh, as much money from Washington as they need uh, for the expense of people who are enrolled in the program or no longer eligible. Nationally, we estimate that there's about 20 million people enrolled in Medicaid that aren't eligible for the program. Many of them have offers of employer coverage, and it's appropriate for them to be on employer coverage. So I think um, uh, properly determining eligibility, uh, evaluating whether it makes sense uh, to continue uh, with the with the sort of COVID policy that prevents uh, states like Arkansas from doing eligibility determinations, and then just auditing where the money is going. I think we're losing a lot of money uh, to insurance companies that are managing. Uh, manage care for Medicaid, and states should do deep dives uh, to understand exactly where that all the taxpayer money is going.
1: Yeah, those are uh, those are really great suggestions. I know we've got a lot of state policymakers that listen to this show, um, and if they want to learn more about what you're talking about here, particularly Medicaid, I mean, you know, the president said the pandemic's over, right? So, like, why are we still keeping these Medicaid handcuffs on states and not? Doing eligibility reviews to make sure that people who are ineligible are not, you know, taking resources away from people that are truly eligible. Um, Brian, we got to go to a hard break. But if people want to learn more about your organization, where can they do that?
5: They should go to paragoninstitute.org. You can Google Paragon Health Institute, uh, get on our website, and check out sort of all the uh, uh, products and, and research that Paragon has been up to, and all the great uh, staff that we've brought on board as part of the Paragon team.
1: Yeah, that's great. Thanks so much, Brian, for joining us. Uh, we got to take a break. When we come back, we are going to talk to the next governor of the state of Arkansas. So you're not going to want to miss it. Nick Horton filling in for Dave Ellswick on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, this is the Dave Ellswick program. Today's a, days of days uh, of excuse me, Dave Ellswick Show. I should say uh, this is Nick Horton filling in for Dave Ellswick. And we played this a little bit close to the vest, but I'm very excited to now welcome to the show. The next governor of the great state of Arkansas, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Sarah, thank you so much. I know your schedule's crazy. Thank you for making time.
6: No, thank you for having me on. Glad to be with you today.
1: Yeah, it's great to catch up. So I know, first and foremost, uh, you know, a lot of folks have been thinking about you, your family. I know you shared recently, um, you know, a little bit of a health scare. How are you feeling? I know my wife and I, we've been praying for you guys. Just how are you?
6: I'm doing great. You know, um, I'm thankful for the incredible uh, and world-class medical care we have here in Arkansas and uh, doctors who helped catch this early and treat it and, um, you know, um, had to take things slow for a few days but back out there and um, really just incredibly grateful and thankful to be cancer-free and feeling good.
1: Good. Well, I know I speak for, I think, a lot of people when we say we're very glad to hear that and very back, uh, very glad that you're back at it. Um, I know you've been doing a freedom tour, um, and I wanted to just hear from you. You know, I, my sense is that's as much of a listening tour as it is a speaking tour. And so what are you hearing from folks? What are on voters' minds? A lot of things in the news, inflation, crime. Uh, but what do you hear when you talk to regular Arkansans? What, what, are, what are they uh, worried about? What's keeping them up at night?
6: Yeah, and and before we jump into that, which I certainly want to, I I want to reiterate how grateful I am and how appreciative I am for people like you and your family and others across the state and, frankly, across the country who have been praying. And um, we certainly felt that and appreciate it more than you probably know and understand. So we're very grateful for the outpouring of support over this last uh, week and a half. So thank you for that. Um, You know, one of the things kind of transitioning into that uh, Freedom Tour and all the activity that's going on on the campaign over the last year and a half, um, one of the things that we consistently hear um, and we get to see firsthand, I I love that you call it a listening tour because I think that's a a large part of what we're doing is traveling around the state. I've been to all 75 counties, Mm -hmm. going back for the second, third, fourth, fifth time in some cases. And, um, you know, we have seen an overwhelming enthusiasm and excitement for our campaign and our message. People are looking for leadership when it comes to education, when it comes to safer and stronger communities, when it comes to things like phasing out the income tax. And ultimately, and at the end of the day, people want to know that they're not going to have an over-intrusive government dictating every thing in their life. And that's probably one of the biggest things that we hear and one of the reasons we call it the Freedom Tour is because we want to make sure that we're empowering individuals to make the best decisions for them and their families as possible. And that is what people are so clearly hungry for, not just in Arkansas, but I think everywhere in the country right now. And I think that's why we can expect November to be really good for conservative Republicans everywhere.
1: Yeah, I I think you touched on something there that's really important. You know, I think there's a lot of Arkansans that That aren't necessarily anti-government, right? Like, we all know people that work in government that are trying to do a good job, but we also have to face this reality that, like, government is just not good at doing very many things. And so, can we put parents back in charge of education? Can we put more money in the pockets of of hardworking Arkansans? Uh, You know, those are the things I think that, you know, I've I've been hearing uh, around the state, and and it sounds like you have as well. I meant to ask you before we jumped into Arkansas, working at the White House— uh, you know, I remember I remember seeing you on Fox News, and every once in a while I'd see you on CNN if I was walking through an airport, because let's be honest, that's the only time anybody sees uh, see CNN. But I just remember thinking, like, that has to be one of the most difficult jobs in the world, and also one of the most thankless jobs in the world. But, like, you just completely killed it. And so... I don't know. I just wanted to hear more about that experience, and I think listeners would be interested to hear, like, what was it like? Uh, you know, this twenty four seven, three sixty five international stage. Uh, how did you ha- how did you balance all of that?
6: You know, I I, it, I hope it's the hardest job I'll ever have, <laughs> um, but but it's certainly also one of the the most rewarding things I've ever done too. Is to get to be. Um, you know front and center on the international stage fighting for conservative values and um, you know one of the things that I think helps prepare me is the the toughness that you have to have in order to go through that process and come out on the other side but never lose sight of who you are throughout that um, and I think that has really helped prepare me now for the role that I hope to take on in January um, as governor of Arkansas and I think, um you know while I absolutely loved that job and I was honored and privileged to have it for two and a half years um I couldn't wait to get home Arkansas is where I grew up it's where my kids were born It's where my husband and I started our marriage and where we want our kids to grow up and so um we were ready to get back home and glad to be here where where life is a lot simpler and uh all the things you hear about the swamp are probably actually uh, worse in reality. So we were we were ready to be back uh, with a little bit more southern hospitality here in Arkansas.
1: Well, there is certainly no place like Arkansas, and I am uh, glad you're back. I'm really excited uh, that you're going to be our next governor, um, and it was awesome to just see you on that national stage representing our state so well. Um, I can't imagine the, you know, and when you talk about your kids, and you talk about Wanting to create a better Arkansas for your kids, I mean that's a message I think that resonates so strongly with me, uh, with with other young people around the state that are you know we're starting to think now more about like the next generation, and this isn't just about you know getting out of school and getting our career going, but this is like hey we we gotta we gotta have something to leave for our kids that we can be proud of, and the same problems that we were talking about 20 years ago can't be the same problems that our kids are dealing with in 20 years.
6: Absolutely, and, you know, that's one of the biggest reasons that we're in this race, that my husband, Brian, and I decided to to jump into the race is because we care about the future of our kids and the Arkansas that they're going to inherit. I want to make sure that the same Arkansas I grew up in that I love is the same one my kids get to grow up in, that it doesn't matter... You know, where you start, you get to decide where you will finish and that there is opportunity and access to quality education for every student growing up in in the state. And I think that's one of the biggest places that we have a huge opportunity to lean into that, frankly, we haven't done enough on, and that's education. That's probably one of the most transformative things that we, as a state, can invest our time, our energy, and our resources into, and making sure that we are putting kids on a path to prosperity, that we're empowering parents, and we're preparing them for the workforce and not a lifetime of government dependency. And we have a lot of work to do, but the good news is I think there's a great hunger and appetite uh, among people from every corner of the state that want to see bigger things happen in this space, and as, and as governor, that'll be one of the biggest and top priorities for me.
1: Well, it's very exciting. I think, yeah, that's a that's a that's something a lot of us have been waiting for for a really long time. Is you know we have these generational problems that I call them of crime, dependency, uh, poverty, forty uh, ninth, education, and all these in all these categories, and it's it just we're ready. You know, we're, we're ready to take the next step. We're we're tired of seeing Tennessee and Texas uh, with no state income tax, taking all the jobs and taking all the workers. And uh, there's no reason that we can't be that state because we have the people and the culture and the communities and the resources uh, to do it. Um, I wanted to ask. I had this thought the other day. You may not know because I don't. I mean, I haven't looked it up, but you know, obviously, your dad was governor, um, and I'm pretty confident you're going to be governor. Will you, will y'all be the first daughter father governor combination in American history?
6: As far as I know, um, we've tried to research. You know, th- there's not a whole lot of. Uh to, to dig into because there aren't that many women that have been governors right. across the country. Yeah. Um, and so it's a short list to research. And to the best of my knowledge, we would be the first ever father daughter uh, governor pair anywhere in the country. There have been uh, several father sons, but no father daughter.
1: That's pretty so. neat. That's pretty neat. What's that yeah. been? You know, your dad obviously was a very well respected, very popular governor. Um, What's it been like? And obviously, I know that will unfold more over the next eight years, but having him as a mentor and someone that can kind of show you uh, the ropes a little bit, how's that been?
6: Uh, You know, I'm incredibly blessed in that I have two amazing parents that love me unconditionally and support me no matter what I'm doing, Uh, but to have my dad as a resource who's walked down this path and served as governor of this state for nearly 11 years um it is a pretty remarkable lifeline to be able to phone a friend on um you know to ask (laughs) questions about different things and experiences that he's had but also seeing a lot of that firsthand growing up uh, watching him and being around him i spent as much time as possible Um, you know, at events with him and campaigning and different things. And so um, it's fun now to get to do that with my my own kids and get to take them to a lot of the places that I went as a kid around the state, little local diners and cafes and stuff that I remember going to as a kid, Um, things like that. And some of the experiences and people that helped on my dad's campaign, we had Some volunteers in phone banking and a guy that was making calls for my dad 25 years ago was in my office yesterday making calls and so the sentimental impact is incredibly special uh but i also have really big shoes to fill i think Mm -hmm. my dad is one of the best governors our state has ever seen certainly uh one of the best governors our country has ever seen and so i have uh high expectations to do really big and bold conservative reform here in Arkansas and live up to uh, a pretty good reputation that he's laid out for our family. Yeah,
1: Yeah. no, it's very exciting. And I think the the great thing is you've got, you know, from my vantage point, you've got a a really hungry young conservative legislature that's coming in and they're like I said they're kind of at this same stage of life that a lot of us are in where we're really starting to think about what we're leaving behind for our kids and grandkids and you know that's something you hear politicians and uh, folks talk about but until you until you're there you know until you have your own kids and you realize Oh they're going to grow up in these schools. Oh they're going to have to find a job here. Oh, I don't want them to move away when they graduate high school. I want them to stay in Arkansas like I did because this is our home and it's the best state in the country. Um but we need to we got to make some improvements. Um we're we're almost up against a break here, but I wanted to ask you a prediction if you're willing this weekend Arkansas versus Alabama. I know we got really close last year. Last weekend was a little bit disappointing. Obviously, we're all cheering for the Hogs, but what do you think? Any predictions?
6: I'm going to go Hogs all the way. Um, I think last week was a little bit of a fluke, but I have great confidence in our team. I think Coach Pittman is phenomenal and has done such a great job and brought so much enthusiasm and excitement to our program and to the state that I'm hoping we got all the kinks out of our system. We got a little chip on our shoulder going into the weekend. We have the home field advantage. Um, so I'm gonna go I'm gonna go Razorbacks. I think it'll be close in a good game, but I think the Razorbacks are gonna pull off a win.
1: I love it. Upset. I hope you're right. I think you're right. I think the loss will motivate them to really up their game this weekend and I think there's a really good chance uh they're gonna they're gonna pull it off this year. We gotta go uh the next governor of the state of Arkansas, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, thank you so much for joining us.
6: Thanks so much for having
1: me, Nick. Okay. All right. We'll talk soon. We got to go to a break. When we get back, Trent Minner, uh, candidate for state representative in District 56, will be joining us. Stay tuned. The Dave Ellswick Show, Nick Horton, uh, Red Truck Strategies, redtruckstrategies.com, filling in for the great Dave Ellswick. Um, wow. Don't let that weather report fool you. I'm telling you, folks, this happens every, every year we get a couple really cool days everybody gets their sweaters out we start making chili and then all of a sudden it's 105 degrees again so just just be ready don't don't get your winter clothes out yet i'm telling you uh just don't be fooled and uh You know, I warned you. Um, So many thanks again to our next governor, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, for joining the show. Uh, Really great to hear from her, hear about her vision for the state, hear about these uh, listening tour uh, stops that they've been doing around the state. What an exciting time. I mean, this is I've been in the conservative movement uh, in Arkansas for 15, 20 years now. I'm getting really old. I can't think of a more exciting time to be a conservative and especially a young conservative and as part of that um, part of the reason i think we have a lot of cause for excitement is because of a lot of people just like our very next guest mr trent minner trent uh, are you on the line sir
7: yes how's it going nick hey
1: great great to have you thanks for making time um I need a nap after this. Uh, I've been up for a very long time. It feels like I've already had a full day. So uh, lucky for you, you didn't get booked at the the 6 a.m. time slot.
7: (laughs) Lucky for everybody.
1: That's right. That's right. Um, Well, hey, thanks for for joining. Um, I told folks a little bit about you and your campaign, but tell us a little bit more, uh, if folks are just tuning in, about your district, um, why you're running for office, and what's your message?
7: Yeah. My name is uh, Trent Minner. Again, I'm running for State Representative District 56. It's, uh, it's a Conway district here in Faulkner County, Arkansas. It goes uh, north all the way to Beaver Fork Lake, parts of West Conway, downtown Conway, and goes east, almost out to Bologna city limits. So it's got a little bit of everything here in Faulkner County. I'm running against a uh, a Democrat incumbent that's been there for a decade he's a vote against tax cuts, and he's a vote against pro-life bills, and he's a vote against making government smaller. So I feel like that kind of tells you all you need to know. And I'm running on the idea that I think Conway deserves some representation in Little Rock that can both represent our conservative values and get things done for our city and represent our community well. So Hmm. Conway's changed a lot over my lifetime, and I think it's time for a change in leadership who represents us in Little Rock as well.
1: Well, I know you've been out working hard. I know you had a a primary race as well back in the spring, and you've been knocking doors. um, From what I can observe online and elsewhere, you've probably knocked as many doors as any candidate in the state, really working hard. What are you hearing when you you. go door to door? Uh, When you talk to folks, what's on their mind? What are the issues that they're really worried about?
7: You know, one of the things that, uh, I mean, there's a lot of things that you would expect. You know, you hear about inflation, you hear about the Biden administration, you hear about gas prices, things that affect all of us every day. But you also hear a lot of concerns about things being taught in our public schools, Um, Mm -hmm. the content of the curriculum, um, progressive, liberal agendas being kind of pushed down kids' throats. You hear a lot about that. and. I always think that's a great time to talk to voters about the importance of reforming our education to include more parental choice, put parents back in charge of their children's education, have the dollars follow the students. And I think that's really, it's not the only solution to some of those concerns, but I think that's a, a long-term reform that uh, helps make sure that Arkansas education actually meet the needs of our Arkansans.
1: Well, and I just have to say, I mean, you know, the left is really invested in making that concept of parental input and parental, um, I don't want to say control, but letting parents have a say in their kids' education. They're so invested in making that, this extreme idea. And I don't know if you guys, the listeners out there, if you're familiar with the Overton window, look it up. Um, but there's this there's this strategy in place of taking the most basic thing in the world of saying if you're a parent of a child you are responsible for your own child not the government not somebody in Washington DC thousands of miles away but you as a parent get a say it's the mo- when you when you stop and think about it it's the most basic concept literally in the world almost i mean since the beginning of of mankind parents have been responsible for their kids and now all of a sudden the left wants us to believe that they know better and parents should just stay out of it and i think it's crazy um and and i i'm not surprised to hear that that's something that's on voters minds because the left has been just absolutely bludgeoning that issue and trying to make us all seem like extremists if we want to parent our own kids
7: Absolutely, and uh, just to follow up on that, my uh, Democratic opponent sent out a mail piece that uh, hit mailboxes around here on Saturday, and it talks about his opposition to parental choice in education, and in that he references protecting our school districts, which is good, and protecting our teachers, which is good, but there's not one word about students or kids, and I think that really kind of sums up kind of missing the forest for the trees on this issue that the other side. I think is often
1: guilty of. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like that mailer says more with what it doesn't say than what it says, and uh, that to me is is really concerning. So, I mean, since you brought up your That's opponent, a good way to put it. yeah, tell tell me. I mean, incumbent Democrat, he's been there for a long time. Um, what's your what's your case? What, why do you feel like you're a better voice for Conway than Rep. Steve McGee? Yeah, and like
7: you said, he's an incumbent Democrat, been there for a decade. Nice guy. I don't have a bad word to say about him personally, Um, but he's voted against the largest tax cut in Arkansas history. Um, He's voted against bills that would have streamlined occupational licensing, making it easier for people to get back to work, put food on the table. He's voted against some some pro-life bills that uh, I find um, pretty offensive. He voted against a, a bill, took a walk on a bill, Um, which is worse in my mind, on a bill that uh, would have banned abortions related to unborn children that were diagnosed with Down syndrome. I voted against a bill that would have made it illegal back in 2017 to abort an unborn baby simply because you didn't like that it was supposed to be a boy or a girl. Um, These are not not moderate positions, and these are not positions that – reflect the values of the people of Conway and Faulkner County and Arkansas largely as a whole either. Uh, So I think that people around here deserve an option and would appreciate a conservative voice down in Little Rock.
1: So uh, we're talking with Trent Minner, uh, candidate for state representative in District 56. Represents uh, That district represents most of Conway and a little bit of the outskirts of, of the city of Conway in Faulkner County. Um, Trent uh, used a little term of art there, said take he took a walk. Um, so for those of you that don't know, that haven't had the uh, unfortunate pleasure uh, that Trent and I have had of spending a lot of time <laughs> in the state capitol, uh, what that means is he literally got up and walked out of the room whenever the vote was being taken. Is that right, Trent?
7: Yeah, it's a uh, you know I, I wasn't there. I don't know. If or, or yeah, or, it, but it's common to fake a. It's common to act like you have a phone call or
1: something. Or or just wasn't yeah. in the room, right? So he was absent. Right. He was he was uh, MIA or AWOL, as they might say. Right. On a big issue. I mean, that's not a you know, abortion's not a yeah. small thing.
7: No, and I and I understand you know if it if it. If it's something small, those things happen. People are meeting with their constituents, oftentimes. But the big issues like that, I don't, I don't see a good explanation for that. Well, one, these are issues that are important to our Yeah,
1: absolutely. And uh, one of the things I, you know, I've gotten to know Trent a lot more over the last couple of years. And one of the things I just really appreciate appreciate about him is he has ideas, and he has a vision for what he would do differently than Steve McGee in this seat. But it's not it's not personal, right? It's not because like no, not at all. we think Steve McGee is some sort of like horrible person. He just doesn't vote the right way. And I think that's something Trent I'll just say it's really refreshing about you and your campaign because politics in general has just gotten so vitriolic and everything is just about this person's bad, that person's bad, um, this person's evil, you name it. And I think what I have really appreciated about your message and your campaign is Let's just give people a choice, and if if Steve McGee's voting record really represents the values of Conway, they'll vote for him. Um, but if they don't, you're giving folks a really good alternative.
7: Absolutely. Just because I think somebody votes the wrong way sometimes doesn't mean that reflects on their character. You know, um, I, I don't have anything bad to say about him. We just have different visions, and the voters get to uh, get to know us and put us through the hoops and make a decision on November eighth.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you know, with that being said, you know, having said that, uh, I do think Steve McGee's voting record is very far out of line with the people of Conway and their values. And I think, uh, as you said earlier, there's there's a choice to be made, um, and and people in Conway need a need a need a voice in Little Rock, um, and I'm not sure that they're going to get that with a Democrat that is the minority of the minority party and just isn't uh isn't showing up for important votes and isn't voting frankly the way that I think the people of Conway would expect him to
5: absolutely
1: um, so we're talking with Trent Minner, state representative. I'm sorry, jump the gun there a little bit. Candidate for state representative for Not District yet. 56. Not yet. We got to vote first. Um, we got to take one more break before the top of the hour. And Trent, you're going to hang on uh, if you've got time, and we'll talk a little All bit right. more after this. This is Nick Horton filling in for Dave Ellswick on the Dave Ellswick Show. Nick Horton on the Dave Ellswick Show, filling in for the great Dave Ellswick. Uh, we're privileged to be joined for this last segment of the show. It's been a, it's been a long morning, uh, but it's been great. It feels like we had so many great guests. Uh, Brian Blaze from Paragon Health Institute, uh, Andrew Brown from Texas Public Policy Foundation. We talked with the representative, uh, state representative Tony Furman, about foster care issues. We just heard from our next governor, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, um, and we're delighted to talk to her for a little while. By the way, let me just say these polls that are coming out i mean if if you see a poll that has sarah sanders down or i'm sorry ahead by less than 20 points uh i'm not sure it's a serious poll i mean this is not going to be close and there's a lot of people that are really invested in trying to make this uh you know, trying to make it look competitive. Gavin Newsom's getting involved, as if that's really going to help. And I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of Arkansans are really concerned about what Gavin Newsom has to th- to say about who our governor should be. Um, but we're also talking right now with Trent Minner, who's a state representative uh, candidate uh, in the city of Conway. Trent, I know you were endorsed by uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, which is uh, a pretty big deal. Congratulations for that. Um, how exciting is it for you? Looking at, you know what what could lie ahead. Let's say you, you know you, you're successful in November. Sarah Sanders is coming in as governor. It's time to get to work. And what an opportunity! I mean, what an opportunity as a young conservative to get to help shape the direction of our state for the next twenty five, thirty five, forty five years. Um, are you excited? Maybe not.
7: Can you hear me? There he is.
1: All right. Yeah,
7: got right, you know. I, I heard your, I heard your question, and I'm I'm very excited to go in at this time and be able to work and partner with uh, the future governor Sanders, who uh, has already done a lot uh, to lay the groundwork to hit the ground running here in January. And it's exciting to see uh, what I think will be a really good partnership between the both the governor's office and the state legislature. Yeah, and I'm our- glad you brought up the Gavin Newsom thing because that uh, I got a big kick out of that. <laughs>
1: Pretty funny. <laughs> pretty uh, funny. Pretty funny. Well, maybe right. maybe at least there's some Democrat consultants in Arkansas that can make a little bit of money now this cycle, um, with getting some of that hey, California money flowing in. Yeah, economic development, you know.
7: You Look on the broad uh,
1: side. That's right. That's right. Well, and I just want to say, you know, to the listeners out there and Trent, maybe you can weigh in on this as well. I, I said this earlier in the show, uh, in the in the first hour, I think. Be patient. Like it took us a long time, and i'm and I'm preaching to myself, right, because like we're all in this in this culture and and we're millennials and all this, and it's like microwave uh solutions, like give it to me now, ninety seconds, and I'm ready to go um you know, and, and we we need, we need to fix the foster care system, We got to get rid of the state income tax, we got to go go, go. All those things have got to happen, but it took us about hundred and fifty years uh, to get into this hole. I think we're at a point now where we're putting the shovel down and we're going to stop digging the hole, but it's going to take us a little bit of time to climb our way out. So I don't want to lower expectations because I think there's a lot of reason to be optimistic and be excited about what could happen next legislative session. But there's a lot of issues and there's a lot of problems that need to be fixed. And I know it, it can be easy to get impatient.
7: No, I'm I'm really glad you brought that up, too. And I think sometimes it's easy to forget, um, as red as Arkansas is. And it's ironic coming from me, you know, being a young, younger guy, but, you know, Arkansas has had control of the governor's office, the executive branch, and the state legislature just since January 2015. And sometimes it's easy to kind of forget that. Like you said, that was a great way to put it. It took us 150 years to dig the hole. We're almost to eight years of digging out. We can have disagreements about who digs the fastest and at what pace we need to dig. Those are totally normal discussions to have inside the family as Republicans, as conservatives. But at least we're digging out of the hole, and uh, we're starting to see a light at the end of the tunnel.
1: Yeah, I agree. Trent, um, your campaign, uh, what are you talking about with folks? When you go door-to-door, I know there's a contrast, right, naturally between what you want to do and what your uh, opponent has done in the legislature, and we got just a couple more minutes here, but what's your message to voters when you're talking to them about what you want to do, what Representative Trent Minter wants to do in the next legislative session? What are some things you really want to dig into?
7: Well, I already touched a little bit on parental choice. I really want to see more workforce, career, technical education. We used to call it, used to call it VOTAC. They call it career, technical, ed now I want to see more opportunities like that here in Conway here in Faulkner County. I want to push for more opportunities for kids that are finishing high school. College may not be an option uh, may not be the best option at that time. They can learn to weld, um, get a certification for HVAC in the electrician trade, any of those kind of things. those are those are great jobs. Um, that's where a lot of the uh, jobs the jobs that are open in Conway are in what they call that skill gap right there and uh, if we want to see more companies moving to Conway we've got to increase the amount of workers we have in those trades and I think we've seen a lot of positive uh, movement in in the last 10 years on both sides of the aisle away from the everyone has to go to college mentality or I heard it called the bachelors or bus mentality one time I think we've we're moving away from that we're getting people getting people to work getting the skills they need to put food on the table
1: yeah I, I agree I mean it does feel like we're finally kind of starting to to shift that way um, it ta- it can take a long time you know higher education and all these special interest groups I mean they're, they're pretty entrenched right and, and again it took us a long time to get here uh, we told kids for a hundred years uh, you know you got to get a four year degree even if it's in you know Art or whatever it is, and then all of a sudden you're going to be on the path to career. Uh, I love art, uh, to be clear, Um, Mm -hmm. and I love artists, Um, but you know that that may or may not be the pathway to a great paying job right now, and and we have shortages in, as you said, uh, all these. Yeah, I hate to even say blue collar because I feel like that's become a, a a negative term, but great. Important jobs like welders and plumbers and electricians and locksmiths and just really important yeah. trade skills that we need. We have massive shortages. Try to call a plumber uh, right now. You're going to be you're going to be on a waiting list. Uh, from my experience, um, so it's a it's a massive massive problem.
7: Yeah, these are great uh, trades for people that have an entrepreneurial mindset and want to work for themselves and uh, make their own way there's a lot of good opportunity out there and I think there's a I think there's a lot of it that uh, kids actually just you know that are starting to graduate college getting that age aren't even aware about so I think increasing yeah. awareness is a good option I yep. think these, uh, I yeah i think there's I agree. a lot of opportunity there that people are excited about
1: I agree it's an exciting time to be a conservative in the state of Arkansas we've been talking with Trent Minner candidate for state representative in Conway you can look him up online we gotta go Uh, Nick Horton, been filling in for the great, legendary Dave Ellswick. I will be back. I will be back next Wednesday, October 5th. Uh, It's my anniversary, so don't tell my wife that I'm coming here instead of spending time with her. But I'll be here next Wednesday, and we'll have a lot of great guests. Thank you, Trent. Uh, Thank you, uh, Sarah Sanders. Thank you, Brian Blaze. Great lineup, Uh, and I've had a lot of fun. I hope you guys have had fun, and look forward to being back next week. We'll i right